Lord, thank you that as we sing that you do have, Lord, all power. God, and I pray that this morning as we come before your word, God, that you would convince us that we would believe, Lord. Lord, that we are powerless, Lord, that we have nothing before you. But God, we have everything in you. God, that all the power is yours, Father, that, that all hope comes from you. And so, God, I pray this morning that we would focus on you. We would lift you up. We would honor you as we study your word. God, help us to be quick to hear. Let us just listen, Lord. God, I pray that your spirit would convict our hearts, Lord, would transform our lives, Lord. We ask that you would do this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. You can see Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. Um, last week we did an introduction, and we actually read through the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 through 7 of Matthew. And that's where we're going to be for the next several months as we go through this sermon that our Lord Jesus Christ gave. This is what He preached. This is what He shared. And so we're going to go through that now starting today verse by verse. But as I said last week, this picture that Jesus gives us as we look at the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, it gives us a perfect picture of the Kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is, shows itself. It's anywhere where Jesus is king, where Jesus has authority and where he is ruling in our lives, where Jesus has ruled, the kingdom has come. And that is in progression. It's in process, right? Jesus is going to bring his kingdom in fullness. We've talked about that many times. And then one day, every knee is going to bow. One day, every tongue is going to confess. It says, in heaven... In earth and below the earth, everywhere, every person is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That perfect kingdom will come when He will reign. But as we wait for this, as we work towards this and walk towards this, as we wait for Christ to come, as we wait for that kingdom to be established, the kingdom is present and growing in us, in the church. Right? The kingdom, wherever Christ has rule and wherever He has authority, and that's in our hearts and in our lives, and that should be making its way out in the church as we submit to Jesus, as, he, as we make Him King. And as we do that, if we're a part of that, then we have this position as members of the kingdom. We have this position, and what it says in Matthew, as we're going to read today and next week, we have this blessed position. We are blessed. And that word blessed is in every line as you look at verse 1 or verse uh, 3 all the way through verse 11. It starts off with blessed are, blessed are. And this word blessed, it's not a great translation. There's not a good English word for it. Melanie and I were talking beforehand, well, what would be the best word? I don't know. That's why they chose blessed, okay? There's not a better word. It's, it's deeper than that. It means that we would have this connection with God. So if we're blessed, we have this connection with God. We, we are in His presence. And literally, we have His favor. And so it's saying all of these people are blessed. 
All of these people have this position with God. We have this place of blessedness. And this term, in those times, it was used a lot to describe a hero. A hero was blessed. We want to be like this hero. We want to mirror his attributes. We want to be like this hero. This hero is what we desire to be. If we could be anyone, we would be like this hero. That's blessed. That's what we want. And it wasn't about what they did. It was about their character. It was about the very inside, the heart of that individual, the heart of that person. And I was thinking through, who doesn't want to be a hero? I wanted to be a hero. I was little. And I looked this up yesterday, and I'm not going to show you guys a commercial, but underoos? If you know what underoos are? Underoos came out in 1978. All right? And in 1978, I was old enough for underoos. But you could dress up as Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, The Incredible Hulk, and I had them all. All right? It was the coolest thing. Like, you could be those people. You could think about, this is what I want to be. And you could dress up and you could put it on and you could act like those characters. You could act like those heroes. Now, I'd like to tell you that a lot has changed. And I, you know, I've grown up, I've matured. But this is still me. <laughs> this is at Party City the other night. We're supposed to be there to look for this all-black outfit that my son's going to have, this incredible costume that Josh is helping him with. Uh, but I got lost in the store. And this is how my wife finds me. I'm getting dressed up as a gladiator. I want to be a hero. I want to be brave. I want to have muscles. I still want to be a hero. And I would tell you guys are laughing, like, Britt needs to grow up, so immature. But I'm not alone. Look at the next picture. It starts from a very early age. That is Trent Brown. This picture was confiscated yesterday from his mother's house. He wanted to be a hero. <laughs> right? It's a part of all of us. Like this is we, 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 We're born, we want this, we want to be someone, we want to grow up, we want to serve other people, we want to have all of these qualities. And that's what this is describing, it's describing all of the qualities, all of the attributes of a hero. Do we have these qualities? Is that what we look like if we're part of this kingdom? I was going to have us draw out a list of, or write out a list of qualities. But instead of us thinking about what qualities we should have, I want us to go to God's Word and let Him inform us about the qualities that we should have. Because these are the qualities that those who are blessed, that those who have this connection with God, that those who are favored by God, they have all these qualities. It's not what they do, it's actually who, who they are. And you might be thinking, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, you've studied these Beatitudes, well, I am not all of those. That's not for me. That's not for all Christians. Maybe that's for the pastor. Maybe that's for somebody that works at the church. You know, they're getting paid by the church, so they have to be like that. But none of these qualities are position-driven. If you're a part of the church, you have the position to have these qualities. If you're a part of God's family, then these should be the qualities that define you. All of them. 
Not just one, not just this one, not just that one, but all of them. And none of these qualities are... Well, this one lines up more with my personality. This one lines up more with what's who I am and you know who I'm more comfortable being. Like, none of these are personality-driven either. It doesn't matter your personality. It doesn't matter what your demeanor is. You're still to walk and you're still to have these qualities. That God would take you, that He would transform you, that He would make that in you. And none of these, I tell you, come from a position. They don't come from a personality. They're gospel-driven. They come from grace. That God would change you, that God would transform you, and that He would make this in you. He would make us these things. We're to have all of these qualities. And as we walk through them today, we're going to be in the first three. And you'll start to see that there's a progression. They build on each other. We go from one to the next. They're not, they're not disconnected, right? We start from the beginning, and we're going to go one on the other on the other. And you're going to see how the second one connects to the first one, and the third one connects to the second one. And I hope that you guys see that as we go through that. And Jesus starts with the first one because it's the first one. It's where we need to start. It's the foundation. And so, think through. These are the qualities of a kingdom life. And I'm going to read. I'm actually going to read from verse 1, starting at the beginning, and I'll go through verse 5 where we're going to end today. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So whether you guys realize it or not, all of us, at the very core, at the very heart of us, we are these things. Whether you believe it or not, you're powerless. You're poor in spirit. Whether you believe it or not, inside you mourn, you're hopeless. Whether you believe it or not, you're meek, you're defenseless. There's nothing to defend inside you. We're all those things, but we don't realize it. We don't understand the reality of that. We actually, the world tells us we need to ignore that. We need to deny that. I don't want to look long at that. We should try and spend our time getting power, finding hope, looking for hope. And we should just make a defense of ourselves, justify ourselves, tell you what is right about me, and defend every bad thought, every bad thing said about me. We spend all of our time doing that. That's what the world teaches us. You watch TV, read a paper, walk out into the park. Those are the things over and over again we'll see is true. But I don't want us to be informed by what the world tells us. I don't want us to be informed by even what I think. I want us to be informed by God's Word. I want us to take God's Word and that it would be a mirror. And I would want us to look into the mirror. I'd want us to look into God's Word and that we would look at ourselves. I want you to find yourself in this mirror. Don't look away. Everybody look into the mirror. That we would come before and we would take a real look at ourselves. We would see our reflection. We'd see what we're showing, what we are, what we truly are inside. Because if our perspective begins to align with reality, if we put down the facade, we put down the games we're playing, we realize we're hopeless, we realize we're poor in spirit, we realize we're mourning, we realize we're meek, 
then we'll be blessed. We'll be blessed. We'll have this connection with God. We'll be favored by God if we're these things. And God wants us. These are the things He desires for us. So the big idea, we are blessed if we concede, if we accept that we're powerless, we're hopeless, and we're defenseless. And then we'll receive the kingdom. We'll be comforted. And we'll have an inheritance. So we first have to realize that we're powerless, we're hopeless, we're defenseless. Then, then we'll have those things. We'll have the kingdom. We'll be comforted. And we'll have an inheritance. So the first thing is we're powerless. Look at verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this idea of poor in spirit, it's basically a question of self-esteem. How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about your abilities? When I walked around with a mirror, what was your perspective of yourself? How did you see yourself? The world tells you, you got to work on yourself. I need to feel better about myself. I need to feel better about my abilities. Focus on you. Spend a lot of time in the mirror not to see what's wrong, not to see what you really are, but to try and fix it, to try and repair it, to try and restore it so that others can't see it, so that you can deny it. It's all about you. It's all about what you think about yourself. The world tells us, believe in yourself. Rely on yourself. Listen to yourself. Express yourself. And if you think about it, that's a religion of self. All of those things, all of those statements are about self-worship. It's about me. It's about you. And if you think about that, if you think about the idea of how that contrasts with worshiping ourselves instead of worshiping God, don't believe in God. Believe in yourself. Don't rely on God. Rely on yourself. Don't listen to God. Listen to yourself. Don't proclaim God, express God, just express yourself. And you can see how we have taken ourselves and we've put, we've taken this place of God. And you might be thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I know better than that. I know I'm supposed to love God and love others. And so I'm not going to focus so much on myself, um, but I'm going to start to look at other people. And I'm going to look at myself indirectly as I look at other people. As I start to consider others and I can get an idea of where I stand and how I'm doing and how I measure up. And I can start to compare my positions. I can start to compare my, my class, my education, where I'm from. I can start to compare my work ethic, my discipline. I can start to compare my sin. My sin's not near as bad as... Some of you guys. I can compare my morality, my behavior, my results. I can compare all those things, all those categories, and in the end, it's still about me. It's still about myself. 
Let me read you guys from Philippians 3. This is Paul speaking. And I want you to think about how he views himself and how he views others. He says, Though I am myself, I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. Verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things. He says, I count them as rubbish. I count them as, as garbage. They're worthless. They stink. They're disgusting. And what is it that he lost? If you look in that passage, he lost himself. He lost his identity. He lost his self-worth. He's lost his self-reliance. He gave up on himself. And he gave up on comparing himself to other people. But what did he gain? He gained Christ. He gave up all those things, all those things about him. And he says, but I have gained Christ. And all those things about me, they're rubbish, they're trash. What worth are they if I can have Christ? That's what I want. And is this a saying for us to be poor in spirit? We have to empty ourselves. We have to empty ourselves. We have to empty our lives of ourselves so that we can have God, so that we can be filled by Christ, so that we can be filled by God. And if we don't empty ourselves, there's no place for God in our lives. If we don't empty ourselves, our hearts, there's no place for God in our hearts. We have to make room for Him. And the way we do that is we're poor in spirit. I'm powerless. What, what good are the things that I've done? In a sense, what good am I? And it's not that we're just poor. It's that we're bankrupt. We have nothing. It's not that we need help, but that we're helpless. It's not that we need some power, but realizing I am powerless. That's my place. That's my position. That's the reality of who I am. At work, we write goals and we treat patients. And my job as I treat a patient is to get them back to independence. They start out some completely dependent, some somewhat dependent, but right, you're trying to move them towards independence where they can do things on their own. And so we write goals where we're a lot of times use devices to help them walk or to help them move. And you want to use, well, what's the least amount of assistance that you need in order to do what you need to do, in order to walk, in order to move around? That's the goal, right? The least amount of assistance. And so you guys might have heard, or some maybe it's been said to you as you've had discussions with non-believers, say, oh, Christianity? Jesus? That's a crutch. It's such a crutch. Why don't you just stand up on your own two feet and do it yourself? And you might, that might irritate you a little bit inside, and you're like, well, well I sort of believe that, but yeah, that's sort of, that's offensive that you're saying that. But this is what we think, and we say, all right, this is what you guys do, this is what I do. Here's Jesus. I'm pretty good. I can stand on my own, right? It's just this one foot, this is one leg that's bothering me. And I'm going to use Jesus when I need Him. I'm going to get around. I'm going to move around a little bit as I need Him. 
But then, you know, I get a little confident in myself. I don't need um, two crutches. I just use the one. You know, I don't need as much of Jesus, right, anymore. And I just kind of do that. And then I fall and I stumble. And I'm back to the crutches or I'm back to even worse. All right? Jesus is more than a crutch. All right? We need more than just a crutch. All right? We need more than a walker. This is the next step up, right? We need this. We need to sit down and we need to be dependent on Him. We need to put the crutch away. We need to put the walker away. You need to try and quit doing it on your own and relying on yourself and relying on what you can do and on who you are and sit down and be dependent and allow Jesus to be Jesus. Allow Him to push you. Allow Him to move you. Allow Him to have the power. This is how we are, guys. We're dependent. We're paralyzed. We have nothing. He has everything. So put everything else away. Put yourself away and rely on Him. So have you come to the end of yourself? Have you come to that place where you're willing to quit trying? Quit trying for yourself. Quit trying in your own power. And allow Christ to be Christ. Have you given up on your independence? You've got to empty yourself to make room for God. We need to empty ourselves completely. The more we empty ourselves of, of ourselves, the more we have God. We have to be poor in spirit. And so as we realize that we're empty, we're destitute, and we're poor, what does it say? It says theirs is the kingdom. I'm blessed. I get to be a part of this kingdom. I get to be in this kingdom of Jesus Christ if I am poor in spirit. I'm poor in spirit, therefore I'm a part. It's not about me, it's about the king. And I get to be a part of his kingdom. And so how do I get this focus off of me and off of myself? How do I focus on Christ? How do I focus on him? And I would tell you that it's a painful experience. The next passage says it involves mourning. And I would say that only the hopeless will be comforted. So only the poor in spirit, only the powerless will have the kingdom. And then only the hopeless will be comforted. So we're moving from self-esteem. Now I want you to turn your gaze and I want you to look at God. It's not about us, it's about Him. It's not about our self-esteem, it would be about God's esteem. How do we view God? How do we see God? It's not about me, it's about Him. And I will tell you that as you start to come before God, it's not a fun process. Being in the presence of God can be overwhelming. When you see who He is, and then therefore you see who you are, and sometimes it's too much to handle. If you look at Isaiah 6, verse 5, this is what Isaiah says. And if you look at the very end of it, it says, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Okay? This is what he says after he's come before God and he's, had, he's been in the presence of God. And he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. If you take the mirror off yourselves and we put the mirror to God, it's going to be frightening to begin with. God is big. God is sovereign. God is powerful. He is holy. 
And when we see him for who he is, we will realize how different he is from us and how fall, how short we fall. And I think for that reason, we don't look long enough at God. Because it's painful, because it's overwhelming. We don't look hard enough at Him. Because in His presence, it's confirmed. I'm powerless. I'm nothing. If I'm in His presence, I can't get around that. I see that truth. And so I want to ask you guys, how much time do you spend in His presence? How much time do you spend before the God of the universe, the sovereign God, the holy God, and sit there and look at Him, not, not, not look down at yourself, not worry about yourself, but look at Him and be amazed, be overwhelmed by who He is. Because we have to start there. We have to contemplate standing before Him. And what that's going to be like, we have to see that He has the ultimate power and we are absolute and absolute poverty. That's the reality of the situation. And if we don't spend time with Him, if we don't spend time before Him, we'll never, never empty ourselves. We can empty ourselves by being in His presence. We can empty ourselves by going before Him and seeing Him for who He is. But it's one thing for me to tell you to do that. It's another thing to actually do it. I know that's right. I know that's good. But do I want to do that? It requires faith. I have to believe that if I go before God and if I stand in front of Him and if I mourn for who I am and what I've done, that then there will be comforting. Like the God says, then I will give you comfort. Right? That if this is the reality of who you are and if you want real comfort, then come before me and acknowledge it and see it for yourselves and then I'll comfort you. And that takes faith to go before God and to see that and feel that and mourn knowing that there'll be comfort. Because the world would tell us Avoid it at all costs. You've got issues? Look the other way. Whatever you can do to be happy, whatever you can do to, 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 to numb yourself, do that. Don't look at who you really are. Think about something else. Make yourself what you're not. You need to be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. The church? Honestly, sometimes we lose focus. And we'll start to not think about God, but we'll think about, well, it's painful to go before God. Just focus on your behavior. Just try and get everything right before you go to God. Or I hear people in the neighborhood, well, let me, let me get a few things right. Let me get some things in order, and then I'll come to God. You know, because I can present myself better before God. And then we say, oh, that's silly. You can just come before God. Come as you are. Like, that's how God wants to receive you. But then we don't believe that in our daily lives. When you know you've sinned, what's the last thing you want to do? The last thing you want to do is you want to go before God because, oh my gosh, I'm just going to be confronted with this. This is going to be the reality. This is what I've done. Look at God. Look at me. It hurts. It's painful. But in that, there's comfort because we need to draw near to God. We can't focus on our behavior. And then don't try and put on a fake smile. All right? Don't try and just walk around like everything's just fine. But why would you walk around like everything's cool, like everything's fine, like you're just the happiest person in the world? God says mourn. That's the reality. Let's not put on a fake happiness of this is stupid smiles on our face, right? God says, come before me. Look at James chapter 4, verse 8. He says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. 
He doesn't say, act like everything's fine. He doesn't say, work on your behavior. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And then He'll exalt you. Then He'll exalt you. He doesn't say fix yourself. He doesn't say behave differently. He doesn't say act like everything's fine. He says come before me and mourn and weep. And then I will exalt you. Because when we come before Him, what do we deal with, guys? I mentioned it before. We deal with our sin. We have to believe that we are more dreadfully sinful than we ever, ever imagined. That's the reality of who we are. We have to believe that. We have to believe that as we come before God. Because if we believe that, if we believe that we're more dreadfully sinful than we ever imagined, then we are going to have this desperate need for a Savior. If we don't believe that, if you don't believe that, you don't need a Savior. The only reason that you need a Savior is because that's your condition. That's who you are. That's who I am before God. And I desperately need Jesus Christ. I need a Savior because I can't do this myself. That's my condition and I am mourning it. In His presence, I can't deny my guilt. I can't deny my failure. I can't deny my helplessness. I can't deny my sin. In His presence, I need grace. I will be comforted by His grace. It's the only thing that will comfort us. So we should repent. That's what it looks like. As we come before God, we would repent. We would mourn. We'd mourn for what we've done. We'd mourn for who we are. We would start to learn to mourn for others and mourn for the state of this creation. We'd be broken about those things. That those things would, would tear our hearts apart as we come before God. And as we mourn, then God would give us comfort. So when was the last time you mourned for your sin? When was the last time that you cried about your offenses to God? Not just, I'm sorry, God, I did this. Yeah, I'll do better next time. I'll try. No, no. When was the last time you actually mourned about this offense that you have done before a holy God? That it would bring tears to your eyes. It would stop you in your tracks. You wouldn't be able to move forward until you've dealt with that, until you've realized that. That's what it's saying, is that we should stop and we should mourn. And as we do that, as we realize that we're more dreadfully sinful than we ever imagined, then, and only then, will we realize I'm more loved than I could dare dream. I realize that's who I am, and now I, I am so loved, I am so cared for, more than I can imagine, that that's the gospel, that I would come before God and say, God, you are God, and I am not, and I fall so short, and then I come before your presence, and I weep, and I mourn, and then you, lift, you put your hand out to me, and you give me grace, and I realize how loved I am, and that's what it looks like as a whole, that's what it looks like to mourn, and then to be comforted, is to come before God with our sin, and to experience His grace. And we need to do that repeatedly over and over again. That should be who we are. I'm poor in spirit. And so I'm a part of the kingdom. And as a part of the kingdom, I mourn. And in my mourning, I find comfort, not in myself, not in what I do, but I find comfort in the grace of Jesus Christ and what He has done for me and who He is. And so that's what the first two look like. 
We rely fully on His power. We can find our comfort fully in Him. And if we have those two things, then we can move to the third. And basically, we can quit defending ourselves. I can quit justifying myself. Look at verse 5. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Only those who are defenseless will have an inheritance. And I want to make sure you guys understand. Meekness, it has a bad rap. Meekness is not weakness. In our world, meekness is looked down upon. It looks like, oh, that's just somebody that they'll, they'll, they'll give in for anything, like just anything to avoid conflict, whatever you want to do. No, it doesn't matter. No, no, it doesn't matter. No, it's whatever you want. Okay, that's what the world says, but that's not what God's word says about meekness. But being powerless and being hopeless, why would you fight with God? And why would you fight with others to defend yourself? If I realize I am nothing, I have no hope outside of Jesus Christ, then why am I going to go and defend myself and try and make myself look better and try and put on this facade with God and with other people? Why would I do that? Why would I be so busy about defending myself when there's nothing to defend? If I'm poor in spirit and I've mourned, like, what, what am I going to defend? I'm defenseless before God. Like, there's nothing more in me that can be hurt. There's nothing more in me that can be damaged because I have what? I've let myself go. I've emptied myself and I've filled up with Jesus Christ. Meekness is a true view of oneself. And because I have this true view of myself and who I am, it, it plays itself out as I interact with others. If I realize the reality of who I am, that's going to change my relationships with everyone that I come in contact to. It's going to change my relationships with God. It's going to change my relationship with everyone else, with my neighbors, with you guys, with the church. If I was meek and I realized, no, this is my reality, this is my place, then why am I going to defend myself? Why am I going to fight with you? It would actually show itself in my attitude. It would show itself in my actions as we interacted. But that's what makes meekness so difficult. It starts to involve, it's not about just you, it's not about just you and God. It starts to involve others. And you guys are messed up. Right? You guys irritate me. You guys are a problem. It's hard to interact with other people. And then I'm going to be meek with other people? That doesn't make a lot of sense. That seems kind of countercultural. But that's what God says we're to be. I can be meek, right? I can, be, I can see the reality when I'm before the sovereign, powerful, holy God of the universe. He is God. I am not. I'll be meek. But when I'm before you guys, somebody else, well, you know, I'm not that bad. I can obviously see some things and some issues with you and I can start to compare myself with you and it's difficult for me to be meek. And then when you say something about me, now God can tell me who I am. God can tell me that I'm a sinner. God can tell me my issues. But when you start to tell me that, or you start to critique me, or you start to tell me about my sin, who are you to tell me about my issues? Let's talk about your issues, right? And it just goes back and forth. I start to defend. 
Yeah, I can say that, but you better not say it. I'm a sinner. But if you say that I'm a sinner, where I grew up, those are fighting words. Right? Don't talk about my mama and don't call me a sinner. We're going to fight. But why is that? Why is that in us? Why do we need to defend ourselves? I was with Nidia on Thursday before she left, and we've been exercising. Okay? We have a DVD set. Just two of them. All right, but it's got these workouts. They're 30 minutes long. That's it. It's over. But in our den, and you guys know in the apartment, it's, there's not much space. And uh, we move the coffee table over. And the way we exercise is that I'm up close by the TV and Nidia is behind me because, you know, a lot of it's moving around. And so we're doing this exercise where you start with your feet together and you hop over twice and you go all the way down and squat to the floor and you go back twice and you go squat to the floor and you go back. And just like this, back and forth, right? And when you're doing this, right, you can do anything for 60 seconds. That's what she says. Everything is 60 seconds long. You're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So I'm doing this and I start to squat down and I'm bending my back like this. Because, you know, it's easier. It doesn't hurt so much in your butt and your legs. And, it's, and I'm, a, I'm a therapist. Like, I know good body mechanics. It's supposed to be like this, you know. And I'm going back and forth. And we're probably 40 seconds in. And my lovely wife on the back. Because, you know, she can watch me. She sees everything that I'm doing. She's like, you're not bending down all the way. She said, don't you know body mechanics? Like, isn't that your thing? It's like you're a therapist, and the whole time she's doing this, she's just talking at me as she's going back and forth, back and forth. I just sat there. Or I just kept moving. I didn't say anything. We went on to the next exercise. I just let it pass. And later I was telling her, do you know how upset that made me? You would say that in the middle. Well, I'm trying. We're trying to exercise. Like I'm in a place of weakness, and I'm in front of you. You're watching my butt go up and down, and you're telling me about how I'm not doing it right. I said, but I knew I wasn't doing it right. I knew that, and I was okay with it. Right? I had told myself I knew I wasn't bending correctly. I'm a therapist. I know body mechanics. I didn't need you to tell me that. And it didn't upset me that I was in that condition, that I wasn't doing it right, until you told me that I wasn't doing it right. And I acted like everything was fine, but inside, it, it, was, it was pretty frustrating. But that's what wives are for. They sanctify us. I was talking to guys on Friday, and they're like, how is it that, that, that my wife can be upset, not about what I said, not about what I did, but about what I was actually feeling? And I say, well, how do you know that that's what I... I mean, I didn't say anything about it. I didn't do anything to show you that. I know that's what you were thinking. Was that what you were thinking? I said, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And then, and then recently, I've gotten in trouble for things that I haven't even done, what I'm going to do. And then she goes, but you were going to, weren't you? And I said, yeah, I was going to. Right? Like, it's the truth. I was not bending down. It's the truth. Like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I didn't say it. I didn't do anything about it. But that's the truth. But yeah, it's the truth. That's what I was going to do. Why would I defend myself? What's the truth about us? What's our position before God? Are we helpless? Are we powerless? 
Do we have any hope outside of Him? Then why would we defend ourselves? Why would we try and justify ourselves with other people? Why would we try and stand up? and No, 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 no. I'm okay. And really, I'm good. Let me try harder. Let me do more. When in reality, that's the truth. Why does it bother us so much when we know it's true? Why couldn't we be confident? Not in ourselves, but confident in God. What if my identity was so deep in Jesus Christ that it didn't bother me when somebody points out my weakness or when somebody points out my issues? Because I've emptied myself of that. I know I have issues. I know I... I'm a mess. I've got lots more issues that you don't even know about. If I was meek, I wouldn't need to defend myself. I'd say, yep, you're right. That's the truth. I'm a mess. I'm completely powerless. I'm a lost cause. But I have mourned that, and I am mourning that, and God has given me comfort, and my comfort is not in what you think. My comfort is not in what I think. My comfort is in Jesus Christ and the grace that He's given me. And so therefore, I can be meek. I don't need to defend myself. There's nothing to defend. I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm a part of His kingdom. He has comforted me. And I have this inheritance. That's what I want to be. I have struggled that this week. Thinking through that. I want to be that at work. I want to be that in the church. As things are said about me. As opinions are made, I want to be that at home with my kids. I want to be that with my wife. That I would be okay with that. And do you think about that in your week? If you were not defending yourselves in your head, if you weren't justifying yourself, or if you weren't actually responding and doing it, how much time would that save? How much freedom would you have if you were meek? It's not about me, it's about Christ. I don't know what I would do with myself. <laughs> I'd have so much time. We have to come to that place. That's who we are supposed to be. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we have received Him, if we are in His kingdom, if we've been comforted by Him, then we would live our lives that way. I don't deserve anything. In fact, I deserve an eternal hell. I deserve to suffer for all of eternity. That's what I deserve. But God loves me. He went to the cross for me. He paid for my sins. He has shown me grace. And so it's about Him, not me. I'm not going to be busy or be bothered with defending myself. we defend ourselves it's offensive to the gospel we don't get the gospel if we're busy defending ourselves so what would that look like in your life what would it have looked like this morning what would it have looked like this past week if you hadn't been busy in your mind in your heart or even in your actions defending yourself defending who you are defending what you've done whether it be at home, whether it be at work, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be with your kids' school teachers. I don't know where that came from. Something in my head. <laughs> what are they thinking about me? 
They think I'm a failure as a parent. Why, why do we waste our time doing that? Let's look to Christ. And let's look at our inheritance. Because we are children of God. That's who we are. That's what we've received. That's where my identity is. And I can be meek in the light that one day that I'll be exalted. I can be meek now because I know by faith that God promises that He will exalt me. I have an inheritance. He promises it. He's given it to me. I'm going to be, I will realize that we are His sons, we're His daughters. That's it. There's nothing more that we need to look to. There's nothing more that we need to consider. So we are blessed if we accept that we are powerless, that we're hopeless, and that we're defenseless. Then we'll receive the kingdom. Then we'll be comforted. And then we'll have an inheritance. But ultimately, as I've said, this is not about us. It's not about even who we are. That it's about Jesus. It's about who He was. It's about who He is. And it's about who He will be. These descriptions, these beatitudes, this is not about some hero. It's about the ultimate hero. It's about Jesus Christ. When you look at these descriptions, they describe in perfectness Jesus Christ. This picture of the perfect, the kingdom, this perfect picture of the kingdom, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the King. This is who He is. And so I want us to read it with that in mind. I want to read a couple passages to show you that as we, as we close. These are His qualities. These are His traits. He's the hero that we want to be like. He's the hero that we revere. He's poor in spirit. Philippians 2, 6-8. through It says, Who, talking about Jesus, though He was in the form of God, He did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied Himself. Jesus is mourning. He mourned while He was here. Isaiah 53, verse 3, talking of Jesus, says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their face, He was despised. And we esteemed him not. He was a man of sorrow, full of grief. Jesus Christ knows what it means to mourn. And Jesus is meek. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 through 23 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who justifies or him who judges justly. He didn't respond. But what? He didn't just sit there. He didn't just take it. He says, no, I'm going to trust myself to the one 
who judges justly. I'm going to trust myself to God. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to believe God's word. And so I pray that God would give us grace to see ourselves for who we are and that he would begin to make us like this hero. That he would make us like Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, it hurts. God, it has been painful um, for me this week to even study this and walk through this and consider myself. God, I pray that you would help us to do that. God, would you give us a clear picture, a true picture, Father, the reality of who we are. God, that we are nothing. God, that we are powerless. God, make us poor in spirit. God, help us to come before you. Help us to be in your presence. Lord, help us to stay there. Help us not to run from you, Father. Lord, help us by faith to trust you that you will comfort us, Father. That it can be uncomfortable, that it can be overwhelming, Lord. And that we would be in that place where we would say, woe is me, Lord, that I am I'm undone, Lord. God, undo us, please, Lord. I pray that you would undo us as individuals, that you would undo us as a body. God, that we would get over ourselves. God, that we would put no hope in ourselves. No hope in what we can do. No hope in what we are. But we would place our hope in you and you alone, Lord. God, help that to work its way out in our lives. Help us to be meek. God, there's nothing in us and of us that we should defend. God, help us to believe that. Lord, that that would truly be our attitude as we live our lives, as we interact with others, as we're in these relationships with the body, with our neighbors. God, please help us to quit defending ourselves. God, make it all about you. Jesus, may this all be about you. Jesus, may we find our identity in you. May we find our worth in you, Father. God, this is so upside down, and I just ask that your Spirit would transform us and would do that in us, Lord. Or would you do that in us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.